Welcome to Village Church of Gurney Podcast. We are continuing in the series, Hope Amidst the Darkness. Pastor David will be preaching from Micah 5, 1 through 5a. The name of the sermon is called, The King is Coming. Let's join Pastor David now. Would you uh, meet me in the book of Micah? We're continuing through our series, Hope Amidst darkness as we're just marching through one passage at a time uh, through the book of Micah. We do this in part by a strategy because we're convinced that one of the best ways to digest scripture, to digest the Bible, is to just start at the beginning of the book and work to the end and see the various ways in which God moves in our lives. So today, we're going to be at Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, or 1 through the first part of first 5, I should say. Micah chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Let me read the text before we continue. Micah chapter 5, verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, verse 2, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Let's pray. Father, we we do, as, as Brandon just mentioned, we tune our hearts to you in worship. Lord, that's all wrapped up in who you are and what you've done and how you've communicated that to us in your word. And Father, our response to what you have to say is our worship to you. So Father, as we look at your word, as we sit under your word, as we meditate on your word, we ask the Spirit would be performing sanctifying surgery on our hearts, on our souls, on our lives, that we'd be helped and encouraged carried along, equipped, rebuked, trained, sanctified in and through the preaching of your word. Lord, guide my words as I seek to say your word after you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, we as human beings, we are designed to look to the kings and queens of our various circles, especially when we're in a pinch. (laughs) or when we're in trouble, or when we're in difficulty. We look at the various spheres in which we find ourselves, and there often is a leader, a ruler, someone in authority, if I can call them kings and queens, of these various circles. Maybe it's uh, amongst your family, that oftentimes there's either a matriarch or a patriarch of a family, that whenever something goes wrong or something takes a turn for the worst, have you noticed kind of all eyes and attention focus on this or that person. And there's this expectation that this person's going to have either the insight that the family needs or the decision that the family needs. We're designed for that. Or perhaps it's not your family circles, but maybe it's 
health circles, that a diagnosis comes up or, or something is going wrong, you can feel literally something going wrong and you look, right? You look to the leaders, the authorities, the kings and queens of our medical circles to say, okay, I need, I need some help, I've got a problem. And this happens in all of the circles of our lives, our family life, uh, our medical world, our health circles, uh, our workplaces. Perhaps some of you yourselves are uh, uh, perhaps a boss or employer. You have a measure of authority over a team, and you might know very well. A question comes up in a meeting, a problem arises, and all of a sudden all eyes, right, are on you. And this is true of every area of our life. And to a large part, this is what leadership is designed to do. This is one of the ways that leaders serve the people that they uh, are leading is by helping to be that voice, that person for the team. It's true of family. It's true of um, our medical world. It's true of work circles. It's true of uh, the world in which we inhabit. But what happens when these kings, these rulers, these authorities, these leaders disappoint or discourage or, or leave us wanting because we know that is very possible, isn't it, that sometimes the kings and queens of our various circles can let us down. And the reason that's not a surprise to us is because all leaders in all spheres and all areas, guess what, are, are human beings like you and like me with the capacity to underwhelm. And that's actually the exact scene that the story continues in Micah chapter 5, verse 1, that their earthly king is letting them down. Their earthly king is disappointing. Their earthly king is falling short. Look again at what it said in verse 1. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. And with a rod, they strike the judge, the king, the ruler, the leader. They strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. And the scene that opens here is one of dire need in a military sense, that God's people, Israel, remember God has made a covenant promise to his people to carry them through and to see them through. And in this moment, in chapter 5, verse 1, they're surrounded. A siege is laid against them. And many of you know this concept well. It's a military term, right? that God's people, in this case, are surrounded by their enemies. And what a siege does is it, as many of you know, it cuts off supply lines, it cuts off information lines, that water sources are cut off, food convoys are cut off, communication transports are cut off, and a siege is basically a waiting game. You surround your enemy, and you essentially choke out their resources until they crumble from the inside out. And siege is laid against God's people. And if there was ever a moment, you can imagine perhaps the confusion, the, the fear, the anxiety, and all eyes would have turned to their king. In this case, King Hezekiah. We need a ruler. We need a leader. We need a military leader to get us out of this literal pinch that they're surrounded by. But look at what happens in the second half of verse 1. With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. And that is showing us that the enemy is close enough to the king of God's people that they can strike him on the cheek. This isn't a death blow. This is a blow of humiliation. 
If there was ever a moment where they needed their king not to be uh, down and, and struck on the cheek, but to be uh, triumphant and powerful and have all the resources of their military strength ready and assembled, that's what they needed. That's what they were hoping for. But instead, the enemy is close enough to strike the king on the cheek. And this would have been very humbling, but not just humbling to their king, Hezekiah, but also humbling to the entire idea of king for God's people. Why? Remember back 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 7, <laughs> 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, verses 12 and following, God had said to his people many, many, many books before, speaking to King David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body or your descendant, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So all the way from 2 Samuel chapter 7, God's people have been anticipating and awaiting a Messiah who would be their king. This is what they're expecting. This is what they're waiting for, a triumphant king who's going to rule over a kingdom that can never be shaken, that's going to last forever, that's going to last, period. And here we fast forward to the book of Micah chapter 5, and their king is humbled, struck on the cheek. And this would have reverberated all the way back to 2 Samuel, and God's people would have thought, wait a second, is, is there hope in this promise that this is more than just the concern of a king in a specific historical moment? This is a concern of God's promises. Is God going to stay true to his promise to raise up a king, especially in a moment in Micah chapter 5 where their king is underwhelming? A disappointment, humbled and humiliated. The very time they needed to look for hope, they didn't have it. I remember it was, I think, um, end of my time in my middle school years, perhaps early high school. Growing up, I was on a missions trip in the church that I uh, grew up in, and we went to Montana. And we were there for several days, and on the way back, there was an activity they scheduled for all of us Midwesterners in a land that is very flat <laughs> to experience uh, Montana experience and to go whitewater rafting. So now, middle school version of me, my mind is filling with images of, you know, class five rapids. I've seen the movies. I know how this works. Class five rapids, you know, the waterfalls. And, uh, and I've got, you know, my yellow... Um, helmet that probably hundreds of tourists before have used, you know, my life jacket that hundreds before have used. And I'm getting, I'm getting myself pumped for this, this first experience. And I, and I knew, um, of course on the outside when you're that age, you know, you, you can handle anything. On the inside I'm thinking, I hope I, I hope I live through this thing. But I knew as long as we had a good guide, we would be okay no matter what came our way. So in my imagination, I'm conjuring up this image of the guide that's going to bring me through my first white water rafting experience. And I was imagining someone, something like a cross between like a Michael Phelps and an Aquaman. 
And I'm thinking, yes, put those two together. He's going to be our guide. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. Then around the corner, our guide came. And I looked. And I looked. And he looked like me. <laughs> and I thought, I don't even have a letter to write home with. I mean, this is, this is the end. I thought, you know, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. I'm gonna, I'll see you soon, you know. And the moment when I knew things were going to get turbulent, I knew things were going to get wild and, and, and crazy and, and dangerous, and I needed, right, I needed a king. But I got a guide. And in that moment, you can kind of, well, at least in my heart, you can kind of see the hope, the hope meter just drop. Now, to kill the tension of the story, I lived through the experience. I'm, I'm here today with you. But the level to which my confidence, my hope, it just plummeted in that moment. I wonder how similar a moment like Micah chapter 5, verse 1 would have felt. The city is surrounded. Everything is falling apart. Everything is falling apart for God's people. We spent a huge chunk of the Old Testament just getting God's people to this place. And now an exile is forecasted to come. God's people are surrounded. They look to the king who is less than what they hoped for, who is not perhaps delivering the way in which God's people needed or wanted in that moment. And in those moments, it's, it's easy to lose hope. It's easy to lose hope. It's easy to look and think and wonder, oh, okay. And I could imagine they would have been asking the question, is all hope gone? Is all hope lost? What are we going to do? Because earthly kings and queens, earthly leaders, earthly rulers can disappoint. They can fall short. We know that because they're like you and me. And that precisely when this earthly leader fell short, left his people wanting, it's precisely in that moment God promises the true king the real king. He stirs back to memory that promise in 2 Samuel 7 that a king is coming. He brings that back to the forefront and he promises and he reminds them, though Hezekiah is failing you, in Micah chapter 5 verse 1, I'm stirring your memory to this promise of the true, the real, the right king that you've been waiting for. Look at what it says, verse 2 and 3. But you... But you, imagine even the turn of hope that's in those two small words. When everything is falling apart, when everything is underwhelmed, when the king is failing, God says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to, is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore... He shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. God is promising a king. And when you and I expect, uh, when we think about, man, if there is a true, a real king coming to town, you'd, all these expectations or images come to our mind, don't they? When we think about a king, we think of a measure of prominence, and power. 
We think about a measure of pageantry that goes along with welcoming a king. We, we think about, man, what, what kind of heritage would they have come from? The wealth, uh, the connectedness. We think about what kind of city would this person come from? A king. Well, certainly if it's a king, a powerful and prominent who's going to lead God's people, of, of course he would come from a city, something like, you know, the, the Tokyos or the Dubais or the Londons or the New Yorks or the Chicagos of, of this world, right? A place of prominence and power. That would give us hope, right? Instead, God says, no, he's coming from Bethlehem. And as many of you know, as it says here in verse 2, Bethlehem was not much to write home about. Uh, Bethlehem, who is too little to be among the clans of Judah, is kind of a runt as a litter clan. Bethlehem would, a place, would have been a place, you've got to zoom pretty far into Google Maps to f even find it. I mean, Bethlehem was outside of Jerusalem, which would have been the, the big deal in that area. Too little. That phrase, little, means insignificant, underwhelming, ordinary, normal. You'd roll into Bethlehem, and you'd probably roll out of it just as fast as you rolled into it. And there it went as you passed by and passed through. And it's precisely from this place that this king is coming. And we see that we're expecting, God's people are expecting a king who is ironically ordinary. Very ordinary, like you and like me, a person, someone that when we saw, we probably wouldn't say, whoa, wow. We probably wouldn't turn and see this. We'd see this. Because this is going to be a person who is coming forth, who is going to be uh, an ordinary birth, verse 3, ordinary in the sense of uh, from a mother and a father. Not much, home to, not much to write home about. And at the same time that this king is going to be incredibly ordinary, this king is simultaneously going to be incredibly <laughs> extraordinary. And there's an ironic volley, an ironic play that precisely because this king is so ordinary, that is why he's so extraordinary. Do you see a little bit of the glimpses of where we find this in chapter, verses 2 and 3? Look at this. Coming from Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you, ordinary humans, from you shall come forth, listen to this, for me. There's a cosmic purpose. There is a divine mission that this king who's coming is going to be on mission for Yahweh, God himself. From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler or king or leader in Israel. Now listen to this whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. And you might think, okay, wait a second. Wait a second. Verse 3, when she who is labor is giving birth, so we're, <laughs> we're waiting for a birth that is yet to come, yet that birth is going to be of someone who is from ancient days. And that phrase literally is echoing to eternity past. So the image that is stirring in the hearts and minds of God's people is a king who is human and divine. A king who is timeless, yet our timely hope. A king who is humble, yet powerful. A king who is ordinary, yet majestic. Do you see the expectation that's stirring in the hearts of God's people? This is the king that they are expecting. This is the king that they need. 
This is the king that we need. In the midst of fruitless season, in a floundering monarchy, appreciate the irony also of the name of this place, Bethlehem. Many of you know that means house of bread, Ephrathah, winking at an idea of fruitfulness and abundance. And if there was a moment in Israel's history that had, was absolutely the opposite of fruitful and abundant and, and full of resources and food, it would have been now. They're under siege. And precisely in this very dark moment, God says, your king is coming. Wait for him. Anticipate him. Look for him. This is some of the things to look for when he comes from Bethlehem, Ephrathah, house of fruitful bread. And perhaps if, if I could try to communicate a little bit of what I imagine it would have felt like in Micah's time, if I could communicate that in an image, in a picture, it'd probably look something like this. When everything else around was falling apart, when all the circumstances around God's people were burnt to a crisp, eroded, all hopes lost, God promises a ray, a glimmer of hope, of light, of regrowth after the fire. And when you look at this image, it makes you wonder, is, is this an image that might be representing 8th century B.C., looking forward to Christ's first, something, first coming? Or is this an image of 2020, <laughs> anticipating Christ's second coming? Because we all know what this feels like. We all know what it feels like for everything around us to in some ways crumble, everything around us to, to disintegrate, for things that we held dear, people that we held dear, that, that, that they are now gone, lost. We know what it feels like to look around and feel like everything is falling apart, the wheels rolling off the wagon, the bottom of the basket falling out, things that we held dear burning. Yet God says, there is hope. There's always hope. There is a king who is coming. O oh, Israel, look forward to that. There is a king who is coming again, dear brother and sister, dear Christian, who is coming again at his second coming to make everything that is wrong right. We know this feeling. And I imagine so did God's people in Micah chapter 5 know that feeling as well, that exactly the moment when our earthly leaders, our earthly kings and queens, those we are supposed to look for to help lead us through a hard season. And when we are underwhelmed, it can be easy to lose hope. Yet God promises a true king, a real king, the ultimate one to which we are looking for, who will be our hope in this season of challenge and loss and difficulty and darkness. God promises this true king, and this true king, unlike what we've ever experienced, this true king will never let us down. This true king never disappoints. This true king never has to convene a, a committee to say, hey, we've got to work through this. Let's sort this through. This true king is never caught off guard, never surprised. This true king never faces a season that says, man, this is going to take all of my resources to get us through this. He has all resources at his fingertips. He's the God of angel armies, the Lord of hosts. 
He's the one who delivers and redeems. He does stuff like split the Red Sea. He does stuff like raise things back from the dead. He does things like incarnating into time and history. He does stuff like going through death and raising again. This is the king. This is the true king that will never let us down, that will never leave us wanting, that will never leave us disappointed. This is the king that we are expecting. Look at what it says in verses 3 and 4. Check this out. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Verses 4 and 5. Next. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Notice that we are expecting, God's people are expecting in Micah chapter 5, a king who is both caring and strong. Both and at the same time. Caring and strong. Verse 4, he's a shepherd. We're the sheep. Sheep can't defend themselves pretty much from anything. Sheep need someone to come in and guide and protect, to ward off wolves, to, to, to navigate the sheep through treacherous weather or treacherous terrain. We need a shepherd, and this shepherd is caring. And at the same time, this shepherd is strong. And notice, um, when we need one, we kind of don't want the other, but when we need the other, we don't want the first one. <laughs> That there are times in our lives when we know from our lived experience, sometimes we face a problem that really we just need to cry it out. We just need to hug it out. But there are other times we face a problem where we don't want a shoulder to cry and we want a solution. We want someone who's got the resources of the wisdom and the knowledge to do something about it. And imagine if those roles were reversed. Imagine you're on the phone with customer service. Your package is late. The kids are coming for the birthday party and the present is not yet arrived. You need someone to do something, right? So you're on customer service. Hey, the package said it was supposed to be delivered yesterday. It's not here today. I got kids coming for a birthday party. I need this present. I need you to do something about it. And when we need someone who has power and authority to do something, you know what we don't want to hear? Hmm. Yeah, that sounds hard. God, I'm so sorry to hear that. That must be disappointing. Well, uh, yeah, well, yeah, it's disappointing. I need, I need my package. You know, there are a number of counselors in your area I think would be a great help to you in this time. And I'm actually going to send you a complimentary book on how to face disappointment in, in life's challenges. I'll send that right your way. It should be there in, in a couple days. When we need someone to do something, we don't want a shoulder to cry on. And vice versa. <laughs> you go to a counselor and you say, I've got some stuff on my heart that I just, I need the process. I need someone who's got an outside perspective to speak into my life. Do you know what we don't want to hear at that point? Well, what's your order number? I can't do anything without your order number. I mean, how am I supposed to look this up? Well, I mean, I just got here. I, I'm trying to figure, well, can I put you on hold? <laughs> when we want one, we don't want the other, and vice versa. Your king is both, and perfectly at the right proportions at the right time. 
that he is our shepherd who stands and shepherds his flock, that's you and I, that the moments where we don't need a solution, we need someone to cry with, where we don't need a, a plan, we just need empathy. Do you know that your king is your shepherd? That he walks with you even in the valley of the shadow of death? That he is our great shepherd? That he himself gives his life for his sheep? He's your comfort, but he's also your king. He also has power. Look at what it says. That uh, he shepherds his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. When it says that this shepherd, this king, uh, will lead in the name of the Lord his God, that means with the authority of God himself. He shall be great. They shall dwell secure to the ends of the earth. He shall be their peace. That we come to a God who can do something about a circumstance that you and I have no control over. And we need that. We need a shepherd and a king who is both caring and strong. You have both, dear child of God, son and daughter of the true king, that he is with you and that he himself brings a kingdom of peace. And if there was ever a season where we all know what it feels like to long for a day when, when people get along, when all creation is, is brought back to harmony, when there is a sense of wholeness and completeness, because peace, the biblical term peace in verse 5, in the first part, that's so much more than a ceasefire. It's so much more than kind of arguing toddlers. Okay, you sit over there, you're on timeout. You sit over there, you're on timeout. Just cool down. And when you're cooled down, we'll come back. That's not peace. Peace is a profound sense of harmony to our dissonance. It's when all the cogs are falling in the right place. It's when we are in perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with each other, perfect relationship with creation itself. All creation groans together in the pains of childbirth until the revealing of the sons of God. As musicians, those of you who are our musicians, you know this concept well, dissonance and resolution. Whenever you listen to a beautiful piece of music where one note is just augmented up or down, and the note has this little bit of, it's not quite done, it's not quite satisfied, it's not quite finished, and then it gives way. The chord is completed, resolution comes. That is human history itself. When sin entered the scene, we were thrust into a season of dissonance where it's just, something's just not right. And we need a king who is going to bring resolution, peace. And this king will. And notice that God's word does not promise an all-encompassing ideology, not an all-encompassing strategy, not an all-encompassing party, but an all-encompassing person, an all-encompassing king, that he himself is the peace that we need. He himself is the hope that you and I need. In Micah chapter 5, as it walks us through that though earthly kings and queens fail or disappoint or underwhelm, God promises a true king, and this true king will never let us down. And I think what Micah 5 is showing us, it's showing you and I, it showed God's people, that every disappointment, every disappointment 
shows us that you and I are designed for a king that never disappoints. The fact that we feel dissonance shows us that we're designed for the resolution when the chord is set right, when everything else is made whole. And every disappointment you and I face, whether that's leaders in our family circles, in work circles, in health circles, even in church circles, whenever we face a disappointment, it shows us that we're not designed for human kings to serve the role that only God can serve. That we see through those and we see to the ultimate king. And even when earthly kings and leaders and rulers, even when they do a good job, and we pray that they do, even that is a small glimpse, just a small taste of what we are ultimately designed for in our king of kings. And we need this hope. Because you and I all know very well in this season what it feels like to have your back up against the wall or to be in a problem that you don't have the resources to fix, or to be in a conundrum that you don't have the wisdom to solve, and all of our eyes are going to turn to someone or something. Sometimes we look to ourselves. We kind of say, I'll be the king or queen of my world, and I'll work ethic my way out of this problem, and we will throw ourselves, our energy and resources, all that we have to try to climb out of our own pit. Sometimes we try to take that role. Sometimes we look to others, kings and queens in our families or workplaces or in our world, and they will leave us wanting. Use that to point you to the true king that you are designed for. C.S. Lewis is already onto this concept and said this well. Listen to what he said many years before I share this with you today. C.S. Lewis, many of you know well in this passage from Mere Christianity, but he's also the author of the Chronicles of Narnia and, and many other thoughtful, thoughtful books. Listen to what he says. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing, that if that is so, I must take care. On the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other hand, never to mistake them for something else, of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find, fully find, I might add, until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. Friends, we face disappointment. We know what that feels like. Let that point you to the one who never disappoints. Because we live right now in a season where people are anxious, people are concerned, people have real problems and real concerns, and we are looking for someone to fix it. God says, I will fix it. I will make what is wrong right. I will see you through. And if Christ is your king, if Christ is Lord of your heart, and if he is not, can I just make a side note? Why not today? 
Why not come under his lordship and give yourself to him, your Lord and Savior? But if he is already that to you, dear Christian, brother and sister, do you know what that means? In a time when everyone's kind of losing their heads, do you know what that means for you and I? We don't need to lose our heads. And we will never have reason to lose heart. Because he is our king. Let's pray. Father, we ask that what I have just said would be something that you plant in our souls. Lord, we are humbled by the reminder that we are sheep and you are our good shepherd. So, Father, I ask for those who are anxious today, troubled, concerned, confused. Lord, won't you be their comfort, their clarity, their focus? May you be the center of our attention and affections and thoughts. Lord, for those here today who are desperately in need of a God who is of all power and might, won't you show them that that's exactly who you are? And Father, we ask that you would do this in our lives to such an extent that our neighbors, our family, our uh, people that we care about, though they are swirling in anxiety and concern, may they see something different in us that would not be us at all, but would be you in us. We need that, Father. Give it to us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.vcgurney.org.